This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I'm so grateful for you joining me today. Why don't you strap on your seatbelt? We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. With that, I welcome you into what will hopefully be a very interactive edition of Equip as we talk about a topic that is critical to our culture, but also believe is vital to a demonstration of the power of the gospel. I want to talk about today race. And I want to talk about reconciliation and how God can help us to overcome the sins of our culture and maybe even the sins of the church so that we might be able to provide a better way forward and show and demonstrate the power of the Spirit at work in our own hearts and lives. This is certainly a thorny conversation, and it is one that, quite honestly, many can become exhausted by. And as a result, there are multiple approaches, those who will deny that the conversation about ethnic and racial division that exists within our culture or, or even within the pews needs to take place at all. Some will say it's a conversation of days gone by, but certainly has no place for this present moment. For others, there's a belief that it is the only conversation that needs to take place because of the myriad of issues that are attached to it. But yet, uh, so often in our quest for justice, there's not a heart for mercy and and uh, for unity in Christ. And so in a, a plethora of books that have been written on this topic, uh, some more helpful than others, I am grateful to hold in my hand one that I believe puts the beauty and the glory of the gospel on full display and is actually refreshing in its pastoral tone and its... Uh, helpfulness and reminding us of the type of people that we ought to be. It's written by Isaac Adams, who serves as the lead pastor of Arn City Church in Birmingham, Alabama, where he lives with his uh, wife and children prior to living and serving in ministry in Birmingham. Uh, pastor Adams served as a pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He is also the founder of United We Pray, a ministry that strives for uh, devotion and prayer about racial strife, especially between Christians. Isaac, how are you today, brother? Hey, brother. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be here, man. Like you said, let's rejoice always. And uh, yeah, man, I'm grateful to be here, grateful to chop and pray and think with you, man. How, how are the good people of Iron City Church doing? They're doing well, man. We, uh, we're getting ready. We're gearing up just for another Lord's day. Uh, so, you know, it's Friday we're approaching, we're approaching it. We're, we're excited to gather around the Lord's word and the Lord's table, man. Yeah. Well, that's good. And it's, uh, I'm grateful for the fact that you are a pastor. How does being a pastor, uh, play itself out in the way 
that talking about race, which is the title of your book, subtitle, Gospel Hope for Hard Conversations. How does you being a pastor bear itself out, in your opinion, in the way that the book came together? Yeah, man. Well, as a pastor, you know, we do a lot of listening, Uh, listening to the Lord's word and listening to the Lord's people as people come and they bring us uh, their struggles, their grievances, their complaints. Uh, And as a pastor, you receive uh, a whole range of complaints, of of, uh, challenges and struggles. So I think one way is that it just exposed me to a number of different perspectives. That would be one way. Another way, though, is that um, as a pastor, I'm not approaching this conversation simply with my agenda or my political party's agenda or whatever. I'm approaching it, Lord willing, with God's agenda. And that means uh, some very specific things for me and how I carry myself. And the first one I think of is Second Timothy 2.24, the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. And there's no asterisk on that everyone, not everyone yes. who happens to agree with him but to everyone. And so I hope that kind of kindness colored the pages of the book. Yeah, I love that. I love that reminder of the kindness that we must show to everyone. I've heard you describe your book as really a theology of speech. What do you mean by that? Yeah, man. So when we talk about theologies of different topics, be it, you know, theology of uh, sexuality, if y'all, all we're saying is the study of God as relates to this topic. And really the book, as I was writing it, I was like, this is really about what scripture says about the big holes in our faces, our mouths, and then applying that to this issue of race. So uh, what I've tried to do is kind of pull together as at least, certainly not all, but at least some of the kind of key passages on spiritual speech and its great importance and its great power. Proverbs says the power of death and life are in the tongue. So in some sense, these are death and life matters. uh, And we've been seeing that bear out over history. And so I've tried to see what does the Bible have to say about how we talk to each other and apply that to this really difficult conversation of race. Yeah. I love that you, uh, you stated in your book that, um, The major problem is not that uh, Christians can't speak honestly uh, about what they think about race, but you really cause us to think about the problem in the terms of the fact that some of us uh, haven't spoken about what we honestly believe, and you really Mm -hmm. challenge really our hearts in this area. Um, I, I really would love today if we could do this. I want to open up the conversation uh, at 877-LIVE-675. I really do believe the further we go in this discussion, the more you're going to find that Pastor Isaac is a safe place to bring our questions about how do we have honest and hard conversations about race. It's a critical conversation that's happening all around us. I would say because of the nation we live in, it's an unavoidable conversation. So the real question is not are you having the conversation, but are you having it well? Are you having it in a way that honors God, that centers the gospel, as Pastor Isaac would hope that we would? And so maybe you're in this conversation with family and friends. Maybe you're in this conversation with brothers and sisters in Christ at your own local church. 
Um, I would love for you to bring your questions about, man, how do I have these conversations? How do I have this conversation? Maybe you're at a roadblock or an impasse and you're wanting wisdom. We invite you to call 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Pastor Isaac, in many ways, you wrote this for the local church, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. So what 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 do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there like you said, the conversation is happening in lots of different places, be it, you know, at, you know, your local barber shop, be it at uh, online on your Facebook page, on your Twitter page, and where you have the conversation shapes how you have the conversation and I'm trying to write to Christians not just people who, you know, happen to identify that way. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian is a loose kind of moniker culturally, but true Christians who love their church, who love their Bibles, who hate their sin, um, and who are trying to live with people who are different than them, because that's just one of the chief things that the gospel does. It brings together people who are different. And so I wanted to write something that felt like the conversations you are actually having in your church, with, because churches— uh, Lord willing, have a whole diversity of people within their membership. You know, you've got, you have a political spectrum, you have an age spectrum, you have an ethnicity spectrum, you have a personality type spectrum. And so I'm trying to speak to kind of the real questions that I as a pastor would get uh, that, uh, or that I would receive as I travel and talk about race. So I want to quote a, a verse of scripture, and I want you to tell me how this applies to your book. Obviously, in yeah. James, we're admonished to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. How does that verse of scripture play itself out in the way you think about um, these conversations, the format um, they should take place, the forum, if you will, they should take place mm-hmm. in and how we interact with one another. Yeah, man. I mean, that, that that verse from James in so many senses is paradigmatic. I mean, and James is so good just generally. I mean, James 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, your sin? Your, you know, it's just like <laughs> James gives us a really big and clear answer. Um, and so, uh, but in, in terms of the verse you cited, 119, uh, I mean, quick to listen. Goodness, man. I mean... How many times in the race conversation has someone, you know, said, hey, I'd like to talk about this and immediately we're defensive. I mean, we are quick to be defensive. We're quick to be like, and so often, maybe we could sum it up like this. We listen simply so we can respond rather than listening to understand. And if you want to make progress in this conversation, you are going to have to listen to understand, okay, where are you coming from? But if you just write someone off as, well, you're a Marxist or you're a racist, yeah, you're just not going to make any progress. That's quick to listen, slow to speak. Uh, Yeah, when you write someone off, that's what you're doing. You're writing them a ticket, essentially. Like, this is what you are. Here's the label. And, you know, the one reason I kind of use fiction throughout the book is because people don't fit into labels or boxes neatly. People, it turns out, are quite complicated and quite complex. Uh, They're made in the image of God. They've got all these things. So, you know, you find, hopefully in the book, you know, characters who you would label as something, but then that character goes and does a surprising thing that kind of disrupts your narrative. And so you have to be slow to speak um, and slow to become angry. Oh, my goodness. I mean, 
anger is not only sinful, but it sure can turn uh, sinful quickly. And the line between righteous anger and self-righteous anger is very thin. And so often in this conversation, it is fueled by anger. Now, again, some of it legitimate, but boy, you better be quit. You better be careful with that anger because it'll turn on you and turn you into something. Even if you were the most sincere advocate of justice, it'll turn you into something you never dreamed you'd become. Uh, and that's what sin can do. So that'll be, those be my three little sermons on those three phrases. Man, uh, what you just said is uh, a sermon in and of itself and so edifying to the soul. I, I want to get one more question in before we have to take a break, and that is so many people will say, Pastor Isaac, that what we need is a prophetic voice in this moment. And I mentioned earlier, you bring a pastoral voice. For those who may not know the difference, but they certainly have heard the rhetoric, if you will, what do you see as the difference? Yeah, so a prophetic voice. So praise God for the prophets. They were God's mouthpiece to God's people. Uh, And they often came, you know, with words of judgment uh, and confrontation to confront the people about their sin, which is a mercy of God. Um, and a lot of people are like, man, we need, we need prophetic voices today. Um, and yet I, what I fear though, Chris, is that the race conversation today has lots of prophets, but few pastors. And what I mean is not that pastors don't ever speak prophetically. We do, and we should, but if you read the prophet, even if you read the prophet's ministry carefully, Ezra five, two, it says the prophets were among the people of God, supporting them in their work. And I fear that people have reduced the prophetic task simply, merely, uh, reductionistically to only confrontation and condemnation. But that is not all that the prophets did. But that's all that we see, you know, the prophets doing on Twitter. But the prophets (laughs) actually gave the people of God hope for restoration, hope for redemption, hope in that sense. And so as pastors, we are called to give that. So good. With every woman, with kindness, with respect. Anyway, I know we got to take a break, but that would be my delineation. (laughs) Well, I love it. I love it. And uh, and I'm grateful for you and your passion to remind us that, hey, when we call on the legacy of the prophets, let's not remember. Let's not forget, rather, the hope that they gave. And uh, only see the words of judgment. Friends, I'm telling you, talking about race is refreshing. It is unique. It is pastoral. And I want you to get a copy. You can find out more at equipradio.org. Also, go to social media. Available for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're going to take a short break. But don't worry. We'll be right back with more with Isaac Adams. As we talk about race, next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. You know, I've heard that for every one person that sends a gift to support Equip, there are probably 10 others that don't. But I can tell you this, we deeply appreciate every single one of you who support this program. Your impact is huge. Maybe it's been a long time since you've contacted Equip, or maybe you've never responded. Isn't it time to call? Here's the number, 888-644-4144 or equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Today, we want to talk about 
a topic that some would like to avoid, but all of us, I believe in our day and age, need to have to demonstrate the glory and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about race. And uh, this is a great book written by Isaac Adams, a pastor and someone who uh, I believe needs to be heard, not because necessarily he's uh, so special or unique, but because he's uh, given us a resource that allows us to have a theology of speech, how we can have conversations that are Christ-centering, God-honoring, and uh, actually edifying to bring us together as believers in Jesus, a hopeful book about race that is not blind to the challenges, the blemishes, and the mistakes that are so often made. Talking about race and uh, subtitled Gospel Hope for Hard Conversations. Here's what I want to do. I want to use social media for the good. So I have five complimentary copies of this book, and I want to give it out to, uh, I want to give out these five copies to those who bring the best questions or even prayer requests to uh, social media. So we're going to encourage you right now, go to Facebook and Twitter. You can find us at Equip Radio, Facebook and Twitter. And if you can just uh, leave your question there, I promise you, our team, uh, we're going to be monitoring those pages, and uh, I'll make sure that I'm asking uh, Pastor Isaac the questions that you're bringing to the conversation about, man, how do I have conversations when maybe I'm at a roadblock, maybe I'm at an impasse with my brother or sister in Christ uh, when uh, in these conversations. So go to Facebook, go to Twitter, and uh, we'll pick five individuals as well uh, today. Uh, Pastor Isaac, talk about your use of story or parable. Talk about your use of story and parable in your book. I've been saying it's unique. I think that's one of the ways it is. Yeah, man. Oh, man, it's funny with these stories. Uh, I'll circle back to that in a minute. But the reality, Chris, is that stories are powerful. Uh, there's a reason in Second Samuel 12 when Nathan goes to confront David, uh, he tells him what? A story, a parable, effectively, you know. And David is so deep in the story, he doesn't even realize he's the bad guy, right? And so there's a way that stories, you know, there's a reason that stories are used so commonly throughout Scripture. They speak to our hearts. I think this is what makes a book like Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Sons, that, you know, that tome on the Great Migration. I think it's what makes it so powerful and so readable as she tells it through the lens of story. And so it kind of goes back to something we said in this first segment, that um, people don't fit neatly into boxes. So if I just said, well, Republicans think like this, well, now you have a question about what do I mean by Republican and blah, and like blah, blah, blah. But if I say, hey, this is Stacy, and here's how Stacy thinks, and here's how Stacy works, and here's where she eats, and here's how she's feeling awkward and what she's thinking, now you're getting a full orb picture of someone. And that's why we don't want to use these kind of cheap labels for one another, especially in the body of Christ. And so I tried to use stories because stories speak to the heart. And it's funny. The reason I said it's funny is because I really, you know, I kind of wrote the stories and what I thought was kind of the gold of the book was like the more didactic, straightforward stuff. And when I sent it out <laughs> to people to review, uh, you know, I had people from all over this, you know, from all across with all different perspectives review it. And they're like, 
hey, man, the, you know, the straightforward stuff, all good and helpful. It's the story. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, it, the Lord has his way and it seems to be helpful. So I'm really glad for that. Yeah. And obviously the story set up uh, the didactic stuff, right? It really yeah, does right. play together, doesn't it? That's right. That's right. So it's kind of a, if you think about it, it's kind of a pastoral commentary. It's kind of fiction, part fiction, part pastoral commentary, if you, if you want to describe it like that. so Yeah. And in these stories, in many ways, we find ourselves, don't we? I mean, yeah, it, it, in many I ways, so, as, as we're reading these stories, we find our own scenarios. We find our own yeah. way ways of thinking, and we find ourselves reflected in the pages of the book in conversations that are happening in our churches, in the pews, if you will, of our churches. And and again, I just want to invite you to use social media right now. Maybe you're in the midst of a conversation about racing your family, and you're saying, I'm so frustrated. This is the conversation. How do I navigate this? Or maybe you've had a hopeful breakthrough and you uh, just want to share about that. But go to Facebook and Twitter. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to talk about what you've learned from uh, Jan Adams. Who is she and what has she taught you about uh, navigating tough conversations like the one on race? Oh, man, Chris. Yeah. Um, oh, Jan Adams uh, is next to my wife, the most incredible woman to have ever walked this planet. Uh, she was my mother. I rise up and call her blessed. Uh, she went to be with the Lord unexpectedly. Um, it was actually a year ago uh, today that I got mm. the call that she had been in a terrible accident. Um, so yeah, man, you're, you're getting wow. me fresh on this one. I can talk about mom forever. Uh, Stanford educated lawyer, uh, Georgetown, Stanford educated Georgetown law. I mean, but I mean, those wow. in some sense that doesn't compare to just the bulwark of faith she was. Wow. Uh, and I, and I mentioned those things because about her degree, because she's one of out of 11,000 students on Stanford's campus, she's to be an African-American woman, there's yeah. 60 African-Americans at the time uh, on campus. I mean, and to be an African-American woman at the time. I mean, so what the better question is, what hasn't mom taught? Me? The answer is, <laughs> I mean, it's just like I'm like, oh, man. And, and so in terms of this conversation, my mom, one word that would describe her and that so came up so often, she was dignified and she did not sink to anyone's level. Um, and she taught, she taught me so many things about trusting the Lord, but she really also taught me about the power of prayer. And as you know, the prayer, the book I hope is also a prayer guide for this, because I think the problem with our horizontal conversations is, is so often symptomatic of the reality that we don't have many vertical conversations about this. Yes. Well, we just, we just don't pray about it. And yes. you know, your prayer life shows what you think you can handle. And what you don't think you can handle. And it shows yes. what you value and prioritize and think about and what you don't. And so, man, what mom had taught me about prayer, uh, I could go, I mean, I have two stories in mind. They'll probably take a while, so I won't go there. But I'll just say this. <laughs> when she, there was one time I realized my mom had, had been praying for me 
in my whole life. And I just thanked her for that. And she looked at me and she quoted Samuel and she said, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Wow. And I, wow. I will never forget that. And then the other wow. thing is, man, when I moved to Birmingham, let's be straight. I'm not from the South. I had no <laughs> idea I ever live in the South. I kind of feel like Jonah down here. Like, yeah. what am I doing? And my mom, on some sense, was horrified when I told her I was going to move down here. And she said, I'll never forget this. She said, um, I told the Lord I would never step foot in that city after what they did to those four little girls. Wow. And wow. my mom is old enough to be one of those girls. And so, man, when, when we're having this conversation, this is the beauty of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to, uh, slow to become angry and just seeing like, okay, this isn't ancient history. Here's a woman watching her son go into what she perceives to be the belly of the beast, and that produces all that. So, man, Jan Adams, the book is dedicated to her. I bless the Lord she got to see that dedication before she passed. And, um, yeah, man, it's a raw day for me, but I'm, I'm thankful. I just I, – it says, never could any man estimate what he owes to a godly mother. And I just yes and amen that. So good. And for those who don't know – what your mom was referring to, uh, I would really encourage you to Google uh, 16th Street Baptist Church and um, in September 15th, 1963, four beautiful girls lost their life in a hate crime there, uh, a church bombing. But but with about a minute left, and this is so unfair, you're a, pa- you're a papa now. So think about your, what your mother gave to you. How What is your hope for the book for your children? Uh, maybe with about oh, a minute. Man. Yeah, man. Oh, man. Well, let's do this. Okay, my, here's what I'm going to do, because the music is rolling. Because I set you up, and it wasn't I fair. I, 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 it wasn't I fair. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, you pause. We're going to take a break, but I want to ask that question when we come back from the break. Uh, fair enough? Yeah. All right, we'll pick this up with Isaac Adams as we talk about a book that I do believe can serve the generations well and one that hopefully you hear me saying is uh, is rich with gospel truth and one that I believe will be edifying to your heart as well. Talking about race, gospel hope for hard conversations. If you haven't done it already, go to our website, equipradio.org. Order your copy today. We'll be right back. back to Equip with Chris Brooks, having a wonderful conversation with Pastor Isaac Adams, who is the lead pastor of Orange City Church in Birmingham, Alabama, also the founder of United We Pray, about his his book, recently released, Talking About Race, Gospel Hope for Hard Conversations. Pastor Isaac, before we went to break, I asked you a question about being a father, and it's very clear to me uh, in the nature of this book, that you, in some ways, have uh, the next generation on your mind as a dad. Uh, what is your hope through this book and, and even in your own relationship with your kids that will be imparted? Yeah, man. I mean, and so we, you know, we got to 
speak about mom in the last section, and I think of Paul writing to Timothy in Second Timothy 1, where he's like, I'm reminded of the faith of your grandmother and your mother and the faith that dwells in you now. And so uh, Christianity is a team sport. We're passing the baton, uh, and we're not doing our job if we're not speaking to the next generation and raising our children in the fear and knowledge of the world uh, of the Lord. And you even think of King's words. He's like, I have a dream that what? That my little children. Right. It's just like we recognize that yes. this issue is too big for our generation simply to, quote unquote, fix. And so we, I want my my little brown girls, um, you know, I, my wife is my wife is white. I'm African-American. I often say I have my kids look like little balls of peanut butter on wheels. Um, you know, I have a hope that, you know, these little these little chocolate babies um will think with the mind of Christ about this issue and they'll have their own struggles. And so I, I have a whole section at the end uh, of just talking to kids about race. I'm, my kids, I got three kids, five and under, so I don't get much sleep and I don't have much wisdom. So I got people <laughs> whose kids are much older than me to speak to this. But man, I do end, I do end the book uh, with a prayer for the next generation. And, uh, and part of that prayer says, Dear God, hear us, help our kids, hear them, save them. Equip them to do justice, love, mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Let them live in a society with less racism and more love. Oh, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, which is a prayer from Second Chronicles. And, um, yeah, man, that's, that's my hope and prayer uh, for, every, for every child, man. Goodness, that, um, that the book would be less needed for them, honestly, but we'll see. You know, as I interact with uh, folks as a pastor, there are certain things that I encounter, and I want to just throw at you a few of the big and most common things I encounter. But I want to do it Mm -hmm. from a generous perspective, meaning that um, I'm I'm assuming the best intentions of people. Now, Mm -hmm. I recognize I'm not naive enough that I don't that I don't see the fact that there are some who don't have the best intentions, some whose hearts have been uh, so marked by sin that their desire and intent is uh, is evil and the perpetration of pain on others. But let's go back for a moment to those who, with sincere intent, say things like, and I'm going to give you a couple of different statements, and you respond to them. One. Um, can't we all just be colorblind and just not uh, think about the differences and distinctions in skin tone and let's just focus on what unites us in Christ? Um, what's, what's hopeful about that way of thinking, but maybe what's missing? Yeah, what's, uh, you know, for all the questions, I would thank the person for asking the question. What's hopeful about it is that... Uh, you know, it, it speaks on some level to what King was getting at. Like, I, I don't want to be judged by the color of my skin, but by the content of my character. So it's, in that sense, trying to transcend race. And I often say colorblindness is a step in love. Maybe the first step in love is just not the last step. Uh, because as we go to love people, we only recognize more of their reality and more of their situation. The second um, aspect I'd speak to just quickly is that uh, it actually deprives you of the joy and the joy you can have and how God has made people differently. In other words, it's not like God spilled the paint in heaven and he's like, Oh no, now I got to clean this up. It's like, man, these were intent. Like 
these are intentional designs. He, he knit us together in our mother's wombs. These are not mistakes that we have to be embarrassed or shy about. And so we want to see, man, what has God done in, in the diversity of humanity? And what somehow John in Revelation could see that not everyone looked the same. They all had the same robes on. Interesting. There's unity, right? We're all in Christ's righteousness, but we're not all looking the same. And so colorblindness, if we're if we're not careful with it, it quickly tends toward a kind of uniformity that flattens God's good design. And it also flattens our perspective of how humanity has abused that good design over the centuries. So good. So good. Isaac Adams is my guest again, talking about race. I hope you're seeing how this is gospel hope for hard conversations. You can order a book at our website. Find out more at equipradio.org. Uh, there's links there on how to order. Uh, I want to ask another question that I hear commonly, and that is um, uh, so often posed from the perspective of uh, African-Americans or black Christians who are in predominantly white churches. Isn't it time to leave or exit Pastor Isaac? Mm, uh, that is a that is a good question. I so empathize with it. I so understand it. Uh, and here's my short answer. Maybe for you. Maybe for you. And Chris, the reason I give that answer, it's a pastoral answer because uh, pastors have to understand nuance, and it's an answer that says it depends. And Scripture does not say you must be a part of this church or I must be a part of that church. But the problem, Chris, that I often see is that Satan is having a field day, getting sincere black believers to turn on each other and judge each other for decisions that Scripture does not mandate. In other words, there is Christian freedom here. And so if you need to leave this church so you can feel worship Jesus more faithfully in another gospel preaching church, sister, brother, go and be blessed. But Satan is treating, making it seem like there are two options. One, if you stay, you're an Uncle Tom. If you leave, you're a theological liberal. And I just think that's the devil's deal. I refuse to play that game. I refuse to take that deal. And you should too, black brother or sister, and realize like, hey, man, the kingdom is really big and not everyone is built the same. Some of us can endure these spaces more, some of us less, and that doesn't make us weaker or stronger. It's just the reality of where we are. And Jesus is the only general. He says where we go. We follow his marching orders. So please don't unnecessarily bind your sister or brother's conscience where Scripture does not speak. What are some pastoral questions you would ask that brother or sister in trying to help them to discern God's will on whether or not they should stay or leave? Yeah, man, the, I really appreciate that. I, I, I provide a whole list in the book. But a few would be, okay, have you spoken with the leadership? Have you, well, First, my question, have you prayed about this decision? Have you spoken with the leadership? Are you expecting, are your expectations unrealistic for how much change this this church can make? Um those would, those would be a few that I would start yeah. with. Have you prayed about it? Have you followed the steps of Scripture? Are you are you doing what you're doing, Chris, giving them the benefit of the doubt, believing the best? And someone might say yes to all those questions. And if so, it might just get to a point of like, you know, Chris, I'm like, you know, life is short. Like, go worship Christ where you can thrive. But what you can't do is hate your brother or sister in your heart. Uh, and we want to be slow to give up on people because God does not give up on us. So... All right. So one more before we take another break. And that is, what do you say to the person who says these are 
such hard and thorny conversations, I'd rather keep silent than to speak and be deemed a racist. Yeah. Uh, on some level, there's some biblical wisdom in there. There's a time to be silent, right? Um, there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. On another level, I would say, dear sister or brother, you've got to realize there's more at stake than your own reputation. Christ's reputation is at stake. And that might mean you should get involved in the conversation. Here's what I mean. John 13, 35 said, Jesus says, by this, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. So the world, Jesus gives the world permission to judge our witness and the validity of his coming and the power of his gospel based on how we love and serve and care for and speak to one another. And so, man, that's why this matters, because there's an evangelistic witness at stake here. And if that's the case, man, I want to be more than concerned about my name. Like, who cares what you think? Like, the fact is, whatever you think of me, the reality is I'm probably worse me god has justified me why does it matter so much what you think and so i understand that fear there's i mean i think there's few things people are more afraid to be called today than a racist but sister or brother jesus does not call you that he calls you brother sister friend so you want that confidence to steal you as you go into your next conversations yeah i love that you say in your book the conversations about racism are as important as they are hard for American Christians. We can't just focus on uh, the heart part, I hear you saying, mm-hmm. but we have to focus in on the fruit that can come from us having hard but important conversations. And I would say mm-hmm. that these are important conversations for both present evangelistic witness, but also for future generations. And if we can get these conversations right in our local churches, what it means for future generations could be absolutely profound. But I think about Acts chapter Mm -hmm. 6, and I think about that dispute that rose Mm -hmm. uh, over the distribution of resources to widows. And I often ask myself, Pastor Isaac, what if that young church got it wrong? What if they would have gotten it wrong instead of following the way of the leading of the Holy Spirit, instead of dedicating themselves to the ministry of prayer and the word, what if they would have gotten to their feelings? What if they would have ignored Mm -hmm. the heart cry of brothers and sisters in Christ? Mm -hmm. What if they would have reacted in conflict towards one another instead of striving for unity in Christ? What would the story have been about the faith that we all now profess in Christ? And uh, and all I could say, if you have not delved into Acts chapter 6 lately, I would encourage you to do so, because all that we deal with uh, now with economic injustice and the distribution of resources and ethnic and uh, racial preference and discrimination, all of that wrapped up in the pages of Scripture. And yet, I love the fact that what Pastor Isaac has given us is not, again, a um, a repackaging of old rhetoric, but he's given us uh, what I believe is fresh attention on uh, the way that our conversations often become dysfunctional. And hopefully you can hear it in this conversation and in our brother's heart that what he wants to do is to help us to speak well in a way that honors Christ and in a way 
that brings healing and hope centered on the gospel. We're going to take a break, Pastor Isaac, our last one of the day, but I want to encourage you to go to Facebook and Twitter. We've been pulling uh, some of the thoughts from there, but we also want to bless five of you, one, two, three, four, and five of you with this wonderful book. And I would say maybe you can use it for yourself, but as a pastor myself, I got to be honest, some of the best books in my library were given to me as a gift from a member of the church who says, I think this can help you be a better pastor. And uh, I've joyfully received those books. So I would encourage you, maybe give it to pastors or leaders in your life. Whatever you do, don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. As a dad, a friend, and a neighbor, I share your concerns over the growing problems in our culture. That's why on Equip, we tackle the tough issues, learning how to respond with grace and truth. We're looking for like-minded partners to stand with us. Would you be willing to become an Equipper today? In this role, you'll give a monthly donation to support the ministry of Equip. And as an Equipper, you'll receive insider benefits, such as a bi-weekly email that contains pastoral messages prepared just for you. Become an Equipper today by calling 888-644-4100. Or go to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. It's been such a joy having a new friend on, a brother in Christ that I uh, appreciate and uh, am grateful for, Isaac Adams. He's written a book that I uh, commend to you talking about race. It is uh, part parable that uh, uses story in order to help us to identify where uh, we might be at in this conversation, but it's part theology as well, a theology of speech, certainly, to give us guidance on how we can follow God's Word in tough conversations about a very important issue. Uh, I want to encourage you to get it at uh, equipradio.org. You call this, Pastor Isaac, a Velcro issue. Uh, that's a new term for me and for many. What do you mean by uh, the fact that race in America is a Velcro issue? Yeah, Chris, it's one of the things that makes race so difficult to speak about uh, is that so many different aspects of life and aspects of yeah conversation stick to it. Here's what I mean. When we're talking about race, we, we quickly hop into a conversation about politics, about economics, about uh, distribution, about whatever it may be. So though we started talking about, you know, the NBA, we all of a sudden started talking about like mass incarceration. <laughs> it was like, how did we get from there to there? Well, yeah. there's the Velcro. And, 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 and by that, when we encounter these conversations, there are going to be times when we may think innocently, oh, I thought this conversation was about one thing, but it's right. actually much deeper. What do you do when you right. encounter that reality? Yeah, man, I think the first thing is just to name it. Like, oh, I thought we were just talking about your daughter's hair. And, and like, a comment <laughs> I was making about it. And I was like, well, actually... Uh, you know, when you say that, and that is actually, you know, you're picking up on an old slur that you might not realize. And so, um, 
I think it's just helpful to name it and to realize, yeah, man, that just because someone um, does not recognize that, that does not mean, I, I do think intent matters, but we also realize that words still have impact regardless of intent. Another thing I think it helps us to do when we recognize the Velcro nature of things is it just humbles us because none of us are competent to speak to every area of life. Uh, a professor I know and look up to named Keith Plummer says, we're all ignorant just in different subjects. And so <laughs> yeah. what happens is it's like, yeah, I might be equipped to speak about 20th century race dynamics, but that's not the same thing as 18th century. That's not the same thing as, you know, whatever it may be. And yes, so we have yes. to, we have to have some, some grand humility in the conversation. Uh, and that's why it often just veers into, we're just, we don't even know what we're saying as we're saying it. All right, so let's close with some gospel hope. I think that uh, one of the uh, misnomers that I want to make sure I dispel, I don't want to have false expectations. I don't want people to pick up the book and think that they're going to necessarily read the parable uh, uh, that are in the book and uh, just uh, assume a happy ending. These conversations don't always have a happy ending. Bro, I love happy endings. So talk to me about why uh, these conversations don't always have happy endings, but where we could ultimately look for a happy ending. Yeah, man. Um, the reason why is because they don't, they don't have happy endings uh, in real life. And the, and, and the parable, I mean, you know, it's centered around the shooting of an unarmed black man. Um, and it's based on real life and real friendships get broken and they do not always heal before glory. Um, and so, you know, the book, I, I won't ruin the surprise for readers, but, um, you know, uh, it, it ends on a, a hopefully a cliffhanger. Um, yeah. But here's the thing, man, is that God is making all things new and he will reconcile to himself all things. And so the hope is that our present day is not eternity and our present day is actually very short and very brief the time the appointed time is very short and christ is coming again and so man we don't have to fix it all we don't have to fix ourselves completely uh that's not to say that's not to endorse any kind of laziness but just to just to name the reality yeah that Christ is coming again, man. And our hope is not fixing this world. Our hope is the one who will. And yes. so, yes. And so, man, we wait patiently on him and we do our best in the meantime, recognizing that, man, this Romans 8 fallen order, it's, yeah. tough to, it's tough to live in, man. And we're doing it by grace. So we're trying our best and none of us are bad in a thousand and that's okay. Well, brother, you're a blessing and the book is a gift. So thank you. Thanks to your wife and kids for giving you the grace to invest the time needed to produce the resource that I believe will be a blessing for many years to come. Bless you, Pastor Isaac. You're off the hot seat, bro. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, bro. I really appreciate it. Friends, you can find out more at our website, equipradio.org. These conversations are as important as they are hard. So I want to encourage you to get in the conversation, to point folks to Christ, to take the conversation seriously, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. 
Get a copy at our website, equipradio.org. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Hey there, friends. Chris Brooks here. Women in ministry is a topic that generates a lot of questions like what does the Bible teach about women ministering in their homes and even in the church? We're going to talk about how a woman can discern her calling with a veteran panel of women leaders on the next edition of Equip. Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central on the Moody Radio app or equipradio.org.